it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Basically, the legend of Cropsy said that there was like a madman in Staten Island who kidnapped and murdered children. And Andre Rand would do just that. So in that way, he was the real life Cropsy. That is so fucked up. It's fucked up. So fucked up. It is just so damn fucked up. That's fucked up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is That's So Fucked Up, a podcast about cults, murder, and other generally fucked up stuff. We're your hosts. I'm Ashley Richards. And I'm Michelle Mosher. Yeah, you are. What's up, girl? I've never loved saying who I am more in my whole life than I do when we do this podcast intro. It's pretty exciting. I don't know if we've done any kind of intro for you, like who you are or about you. I don't think I've ever done that. Have I ever done that about me either, though? I don't know. Oh, my God. Who even are we? Well, I can read you the description in my Bumble profile. Yeah, let's do that. Let's tell the audience who you are via that. I love that idea. In a nutshell, this is Michelle Mosher. This is Michelle Mosher. This is how I represent myself to the single Denver male population. Just a punk rock princess looking for her garage band king. Love all the Denver things. Hike, sup. That's stand up paddleboard, not like what's up. Uh, up? Snowboard, bike, breweries. I spend my extra income on concerts, ink, good food and drinks and travel. Looking for someone to do at least three of those four things with. And that could be one of you lucky listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She also loves selfies and emo music. God, that's so true. I know two things about you for a fact. It's those. That's fair. I love a good selfie. And um, literally, if you look at all of the art in my condo, 80% of it is emo and pop punk lyric posters. A, that doesn't surprise me. And B, I saw a meme once. I'm going to edit this a little bit to make it 100% me. But it says, I'm very sick of pretending to be cool, laid back girl. So boys want to date me. I'm insane. I'm literally balls to the walls insane. And that is okay. I will treat you right. And I will also cry every day. High risk, high reward. I think that's what would probably go on my dating profile. Um, I love that. Okay. Anywho. So, first of all, go over to our website, tsfuthepodcast.com, to play Murder Bingo with us, because we've got that today. We've got everything. We've got murder, an urban legend, an old mental institution. Ooh. Yeah. Strap in. Um, Since we had that little get to know you sesh, I'm just going to hop right into things Let you know, off the top, I got most of my information from the documentary Cropsy, which I highly recommend, but I'm also pretty much going to break it down for you right now. So here we go. 
All right, so beginning with the legend of Cropsey. Cropsey was a popular urban legend in Staten Island, New York during the 70s and 80s. And it was that of an escaped mental patient called Cropsey who had a hook for a hand or wielded a bloody axe, who would roam the streets at night looking for kids to drag back to the tunnels of the abandoned Willowbrook State School nearby to kill them. Yeah, it was a legend amongst Boy Scouts and kids and teenagers all around Staten Island during that time. He was like the boogeyman of 70s, 80s Staten Island. You know, it was like, oh, don't go down by the river at night. Cropsy's going to get you. And it overall kind of became like a catch-all name for any kind of like maniacal serial killer who was, you know, going to get you. <laughs> Did it get you? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Well, all right. I will, though. Just wait. Just wait. That you will. I'm not even... I am convinced I'm going to be shocked and afraid most okay. of the time. Cool. Good, because we're getting there. So the documentary kind of starts out with some interviews from residents of Staten Island, which I found really interesting. It's pretty isolated from the rest of New York, even though you can see Manhattan right across the water. It's just kind of its own place. Mm -hmm. In the past, it was always kind of rumored that it was somewhere where the mob would dump bodies. And it actually had a garbage dump that took all of the garbage from the 8 million people that populated New York City. So it was rumored oh. that you could see this garbage dump from space. I'm not sure <laughs> if that's true. There was also a farm colony there for people with tuberculosis and the Willowbrook State School, which ended up being a mental institution. So Staten Island is kind of just somewhere where it seems that they dumped unwanted trash, unwanted people, and probably unwanted bodies, because let's be real, there's probably a lot of mob goings on. So Willowbrook State School, and I, I'm putting air quotes around that, mm -hmm. was a state-supported institution for children with intellectual disabilities ran from 1947 to 1987, which is absolutely fucking horrible. Oh. The school was designated for 4,000, but by 1965, it had a population of 6,000. And at the time, it was the largest state-run institution for people with mental disabilities in the U.S. Oh. Do you watch American Horror Story? I have seen most of the seasons. I love Murder House and Coven the most. Circus was pretty good. Hotel, I only got through like four episodes of, and I haven't seen any of the other ones. Was that a far more detailed answer than you were looking for? Did you just want yes or no? Okay, so it's so funny. So you haven't watched Asylum, the second season? No. Is that what this is about? <laughs> well, um, the Asylum and kind of one of the doctors-ish. <laughs> I swear I end up basing so many episodes off of like American Horror Story stories, but that's not how this started. I didn't know that Willowbrook State School had anything to do with this story when I went into it. So the asylum in season two of American Horror Story is actually modeled after this state, quote, school. Wait, in that season, is there like a girl who's not actually insane? I feel like this is the part of every asylum film ever. So also like, tell me if I'm just wrong. A girl who's not actually insane, but she's in the asylum and they like try to give her a lobotomy or something maybe. And like Mrs. Pr Pritchett or Pratchett, Cratchett, Crotchett, Davy, Davy Crockett, the lady that's in all of them, 
Jessica Lang. I think so. She's in the circus one. She sings Life on Mars. Yes, that's her. Yes. Okay, so she's the nurse. She's the evil nun. Nun. Okay. Yeah, is there someone in that season that like isn't actually insane but is stuck in the asylum? Yeah, so I'm actually going to get to that. So Oh, amazing. Okay, well then I'll shut up. Yeah, there's a few things in that season that are modeled after life around this time and institution. So when Senator Robert Kennedy visited, he called it a snake pit. Like he said, the conditions were so awful. Dr. Saul Krugman, one of the attending physicians there, was deliberately giving healthy patients hepatitis B for medical experiments by putting the stool of six infected patients into their food and chocolate milk. Ew. Yeah. And I know that Ash is not a fan of of scat kink. Well, it's funny because like I recently recorded something that is a surprise for the listeners. They don't know about it yet, but we talked about the fact that Hitler had coprophilia. So, you know, yeah, sometimes it just it comes up. Actually, I think this would be a great time to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. And we're back. So disease and really sadly, sexual and physical abuse of the patients by staff and other patients just was rampant. And two journalists, Donna Stone and Jane Curtin, tricked their way into the institution and wrote about it. But the story just wasn't getting the attention that it deserved until 1972, when disgruntled doctor, uh, no fucking wonder from working in a place like that, invited 29-year-old budding journalist Geraldo Rivera to come see the awful conditions and gave them a key. This won like a fucking Peabody Award. I don't know how he went so wrong later in his career. Yeah, I've heard of I've heard of this, at least. I wonder if like ATWWD covered this place ever, because that's the kind of thing they do. Or maybe I just remember it from Asylum. Yeah, well, also in Asylum, the character Lana Winters plays a journalist who gets herself locked in there on purpose to write about it and then ends up doing the expose that Geraldo does and they go inside and it looks exactly like the expose that Geraldo did. So it's like exactly that. It's the same. So, I mean, it might have been another podcast or it might have just been Asylum. Sometimes I like confuse my life with shows. I'm like, did that happen or did I see that in a movie? <laughs> well, and I feel like when you um, at least this is what I notice is like when you do love something very specific, like true crime, the cases tend to overlap because you tend to expose yourself to so many different, at least personally, I expose myself to so many different forms of media that are all based around like the horrific things people do to each other. And so sometimes it's hard to yeah, be like, is this, was this fictional? Was this a podcast? Did I read a book? Did I watch a movie? Did I see a documentary? Yeah. Was it multiple of those things? Because a lot of the times too, what I watch is true crime shows that are fictional, but based on like real crimes. <laughs> yeah. Just like constantly inundated. So, yeah, and then later he became like fucking Maury or like one of those guys, you know, Jerry Springer. He went from being like a Peabody winner to like some trash daytime TV host. I don't know. Anyways, just a weird, weird little tidbit. Like, did you just like love, I don't know, like when I was like way too young to be watching those shows, 
I would just love like staying home from school sick and laying on the couch and just watching like Maury and Jerry Springer and like all of those trashy Ricky documents. Lake. Ricky, Ricky. <laughs> I had a friend tell me I looked like Ricky Lake and I was like, that's not a compliment. That's not I, nice. No offense, Ricky Lake. You're, you know what? Everyone's beautiful. I'm sorry. That was actually really judgmental and mean of me. Women should not be hating on women. We should be celebrating each other's individual beauty. But it didn't make me feel good about myself. Yeah. You were like, oh, okay. <laughs> In a world where she could have been like, you know, you look just like a Kardashian. She was like, you know, you look just like Ricky Lake. Kathleen Bates mm. in Misery. You know, when she's got that real crazy look on her face. (laughs) The craziest look in her eyes. And at one point she said, let's get it on. Uh, Okay, so back to Geraldo in the 70s doing great journalistic work. So him and I think just single cameramen, they get a key from Dr. Wilkins and they go in unannounced and they catch the most horrific scenes you could imagine. This place is completely understaffed, which is absolutely insane because about 60% of the population couldn't go to the bathroom or eat on their own. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's horrific. Children were left alone on the floor, moaning and wailing, rocking back and forth with little to no supervision or care. Many of them were naked or were just wearing rags for clothing. Some of them were drenched in urine and or smeared in feces, which was also smeared all over the walls. And Geraldo said that it smelt of filth, disease, and death in there. Jeez. And even after that 1972 expose, it didn't shut down until 1987. So 15 years after that. Do you think that your birth had anything to do with it finally shutting down? They were like, we got to get this out of here before Ash is old enough to know that this exists because she's going to be pissed. Well, I think my birth did shut it down because as most of our listeners know, I am Jesus Christ, reborn. (laughs) (laughs) And although, you know, it's it's great that it was shut down um, because the conditions were worse than prison, just human rights violations, literally left and right. And this is children with mental disabilities, like some of our most vulnerable population. The unfortunate thing is that many of them did transfer to group homes and a lot of them were left to fend for themselves. And unfortunately, a lot of the patients that were transferred to group homes were transferred to abusive situations. Again, the stats for the amount of abuse that happens in these group homes even today is staggering and disgusting. I don't understand why you would work somewhere like that and then abuse the people that you're there to care for. It's just, I don't understand it at all. It's horrible. And then a lot of the patients went back to live there after it was shut down because they didn't know anything else. (gasps) You know, they started living in the abandoned building and in the tunnels beneath it and in the woods surrounding it. Jesus. A man named Andre Rand worked as an orderly and custodian at Willowbrook from 66 to 68. Who is Andre Rand? You're probably asking. I was absolutely asking that. Well, Michelle, I'm going to tell you. So Andre Rand was born Frank Rashawn, and people don't know where he got the name Andre Rand from. But I mean, where did Doja Cat go to Doja Cat from? You know... Yeah, I always wonder that. Or like Lil Yachty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you think of that? Or like Da Baby. <laughs> like, do you know how stupid I feel as a 32 year old woman 
when I'm listening to a song and somebody's like, oh, who is that? And I'm like, oh, that's the baby. I love the baby. <laughs> like, and like, you can't say the baby because like that sounds worse somehow for a re- I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. Wait, what about the song Baby by Lil Baby featuring the baby? No, stop. that's not real. <laughs> I refuse to <laughs> accept that that's a song or. There's a hundred percent a song called Baby. By Lil Baby featuring the Baby. <laughs> That's my new favorite song. Uh, I someone... can't. Oh. I cannot. That's I can't. Like who? Were you they know, trying like, to be that was funny? On, yeah, absolutely. They were. Like were, I don't think they were. I think this guy wrote the song and was like, "All right, my name's what Lil Baby? Is that his name?" <laughs> Wait, I laughed because that sounds ridiculous, but yeah, that's his name. <laughs> well, because Big Baby would be stupid. <laughs> Gotta be a little baby. Babies aren't big. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um. Well, it's funny because Andre Rand, a.k.a. Frank Rashawn, a.k.a. How'd you know? Little baby. baby. <laughs> No, but um, his name is Andre Rand. <laughs> or that's what uh, he's known by, or sometimes known as the real life Cropsy, although he did not have a hook for a hand oh. or wield a bloody axe. And he actually wasn't an escaped mental patient. So he didn't really fit the Cropsy bill. Basically, the legend of Cropsy said that there was like a madman in Staten Island who kidnapped and murdered children. And Andre Rand would do just that. So in that way, he was the real life Cropsy. You know what I have to say to that, Ash? Hashtag not my Cropsy. Hashtag not my profit. Hashtag not, not my profit. Why am I crying a little right now? You come up with the best hashtag. Thank I you. love it. Oh. <laughs> so, murder of children is not funny. No, Michelle. this is why I'm trying what to get jokes fuck? in right now because I know that it's going to take a turn and there's not going to be any. Oh, it's going to take a real turn and it's not going to be funny. Not that the uh, the thousands of children being abused at Willowbrook was a sweet walk in the park. No, it was but, um, already bad, but now it's like way worse. It's, it's yeah. A- well, I guess that's depending on who you ask, which is interesting. But yeah, no, it's about to get fucked up. But the funny thing is that when I picked this story, I first was just poking around documentaries that I wanted to watch. I often will start with a documentary as my source. And sometimes I'll pick my story based on what documentary I feel like watching I had been wanting to watch the Cropsey documentary for a long time, and I was looking at doing the Slenderman case. And then I was looking also at like most bizarre true crime documentaries, and Cropsey came up, and I was like, you know what? I'm totally in the mood for an urban legend. I'm not feeling Slenderman. I'm going to go with Cropsey. Like, urban legend will keep it kind of light. My research... And the documentary did not take me there. That's like where if this were a movie, the narrator voice would come in and say, Ash did not, in fact, keep it kind of light. (laughs) As it turns out, it was not kind of light. In fact, things got very, very real, very (laughs) quick. Um, (laughs) I am super interested in the Slender Man thing, though. I know. Maybe another time. Yeah. 
Back to Andre. When he was 14, his dad died and his mom was committed to a psych hospital. And his sister said that they were never abused, although, um, you know, those are two pretty, pretty intense traumas to go through as a young person, although not an excuse for any of his later actions. But she said their parents didn't abuse them in any way. Did you have any indication the mother was domineering? No, no reason. Just asking for a friend or a bingo board. Um, I do not recall finding that in my research, Michelle. Okay, well, fair enough. So like I said, he worked at Willowbrook in the mid-60s and would live in makeshift camps in the woods around it for years to come. And I think that is actually a good time to take a commercial break. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Andre, he was living in those woods and just uh, being a freak. In 1969, he tried to sexually assault a nine-year-old girl. (gasps) Luckily, he was caught before anything could happen. I'm not sure the exact details on that story. But he did serve 16 months. Ooh, what a nice long time. (sighs) Wow. For attempted sexual assault of a fucking child. Ten years later, so I feel like he must have been doing other shit in the meantime. And this is just like the first time that it comes to light again. But in 1979, he was accused of raping a young woman of unknown age and a 15-year-old girl, but neither (sighs) pressed charges, sadly. Jesus Christ. You know, obviously he got off the hook. A couple years later in 1981, he tried to lure a nine-year-old girl into his car by offering her candy, but she hid from him and again, no charges were filed. Two years later, he fucking really grows a pair of balls and drives a bus to the local YMCA and picks up a group of 11 kids. He's like, hey, you guys want to go on a trip? They literally interview this kid in the documentary who had been one of the kids he took. He was like, we didn't even know we were being kidnapped, you know, like we just thought we were going on an adventure. Oh, my God. He takes them to White Castle and buys them food, then takes them to the Newark airport to watch the planes, and then takes them to some like dark park and lets them run around and play tag and hide and go seek or whatever. But I guess then maybe decided that 11 kids was too many to kidnap at once. I don't know if he took them back or what, but none of them were harmed except for, um, you know, fucking being kidnapped by a serial killer (laughs) were there like okay what year was this this is in the 80s 1983 where 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 were their parents was this was the generation where the parents were like i just you know come home like whenever like how do you how do 11 11 children's parents not go like hey did you um do we know where well that's probably how he ended up getting in trouble because i'm sure a bunch of the parents went to the authorities and were like hey where's our kids and then the kids came back and were like yeah this like really nice guy came up in a bus and took us on a field trip and i'm guessing how he got caught he was charged with unlawful imprisonment and served 10 months for kidnapping 11 kids (laughs) it's not even one month a kid I know. It's like three and a half weeks a kid. Fuck, dude. I know that the kid that they interviewed was black. I'm not sure if the rest of the kids were also black, in which case, 
super sadly at the time, um, they would have been like, eh, you know, maybe if it was a bus full of 11 white kids, he might have gotten a little bit longer. You know, Jesus. I don't know. As some might say, that's so fucked up. Uh, TSFU. Yeah, I know. And then he seems to drop off the radar for a few years, at least off of the authorities radar. I'm sure he's still out there kidnapping and killing kids. And then in July of 1987, 12-year-old Jennifer Schweiger disappeared. She was just described as such a sweet girl. She had Down syndrome and she was last seen by two witnesses walking with a middle-aged man with a green bike that looked like it should belong to a female with a basket on it. And a police officer recognized him from a previous case, saw him with the same bike earlier in the week. So immediately they were like, okay, our lead suspect is 43-year-old Andre Rand. And they bring him in for questioning. But they have to release him for lack of evidence. But considering his rap sheet, they're like, obviously, this dude is a heinous monster and he probably did this. Mm -hmm. So they surveil him for four weeks. And while they surveil him, they make Reverend Musket, a reverend of a local church that Rand apparently attended, house Rand during that time so that they could surveil him. So they were like, "Okay, so you need to offer Rand to stay at your house while we watch him, which... It's like scary because he had a wife and kids, you oh. know, for one. Oh, cool. Uh, just how's this child molester around your yeah, family? No props. <laughs> yeah, but he said that like he had to do it. He said that Rand told him that he took Jennifer because he thought her family didn't want her and she was alone. And he felt that people that had mental handicaps, I say that in air quotes because that's super not PC anymore, shouldn't be alive. What the fuck? I know there's a word for that for people with like prejudice against people with disabilities, but I don't know it off the top of my head. But yeah, so obviously um, this is a thought of his that he admitted out loud to his reverend, probably because he's like, he's a reverend. He won't tell. Jesus. And on the documentary, the reverend was like, yeah, so they made me let him stay in my house. And he fucking told me he took Jennifer. Oh, my God. I don't know. I, you know. As you all know, I'm not a professional psychologist. What? But I was trying to consider maybe where this, you know, value or ideal came from. And maybe it was because of his mom's instability. And he saw that that was hard for her. And he saw that for him, that was hard. Maybe because he saw the conditions at Willowbrook and had some sort of savior complex. And I don't know. But he's definitely, for the most part, like maintained his innocence throughout all the years. So I don't know. But one cop said that when they showed him footage of Willowbrook from the Geraldo special, that like his eyes started rolling into the back of his head and he started drooling and basically became all like catatonic and weird and was like, see how horrible it was there? Like it was like that for us attendants too. Oh my God. I think he was just trying to act crazy. He was probably one of the people there abusing the children. Like, duh, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean that. Why wouldn't he have been? (laughs) Makes sense. And when they arrested him at Reverend Musket's church, he was like drooling and just looked like all cross-eyed and totally gone. And again, when you see him 
talking later in interviews and stuff. He's an intelligent man. I think he's literally just trying to look crazy, like Joseph D'Angelo. And he uh, comes into the court and he's like, oh, hello, everybody. I'm Grandpa. Your Joseph D'Angelo impression is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> I think he's like, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm crazy. <laughs> like, that's what he's trying to convey with his, like, drooling cross-eyed. <sighs> You're not fooling me, buddy. No, thank you for bringing me a little laughter in the middle of this uh, kind of horrific story. You're welcome. I try. I needed that. <laughs> it was, it was getting, getting a little heavy. Also, yeah. um, all I want for my birthday is for you to record me, like, a voice memo in the Joseph D'Angelo voice, like, wishing me a happy birthday or something. <laughs> I can 100% do that. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. So like I said, he's doing this Joseph D'Angelo thing, but instead of being old, he's trying to look crazy. And there were actually rumors that he was possibly abducting children and kind of moving them around this underground network of people underneath Willowbrook, which is... You know, it's an unsubstantiated rumor, but do we know if like there's actually a tunnel system or is that also like unsubstantiated? Oh, no, there's definitely like tunnels that people were living in and shit. So we just don't know if he was like moving kids around under there. Yeah, no, he definitely could have been. And some people think that he had to have help with all of this stuff that he was doing. And like maybe somebody was moving Jennifer around after he got caught because they did a pretty thorough sweep of the woods like initially, but they didn't find her body until later. But that's also because Jennifer's mother and her friend Donna formed a group called Friends of Jennifer, where they just kept searching and searching. And eventually, I believe they found the body. But I also saw saw somewhere that it was like an NYPD officer who found the body. So I'm not actually 100% sure on that. But they did find the body quite a bit after she went missing. And the other reason they think it might have been someone else who buried her is because they found an arm and leg sticking out of a pretty shallow grave. But it was 150 yards from Rand's campsite. Oh. So some people speculate that maybe he was set up. Like I said, some people speculate that he had this underground network of pedophiles who he was passing children around to. Some suspect that he was supplying children to this local church that had like satanic roots uh, that was actually formed by former Scientology members. So like, no big surprise. Why does that just, um, I mean, like, not that I'm saying that it couldn't be possible because like literally anything could, but that's just like giving me Pizzagate energy right now. No, for sure. I think all of these are just rumors because like satanic panic Uh, was going on at the time. It's the 80s, you know, so they're like, everything was a satanic ritual. Maybe he's supplying children for satanic rituals, you know. So take that one with a grain of salt. (laughs) So they find the body. They find Jennifer's body 150 yards from Rand's campsite. And police start looking at other missing children's cases and focused on four spanning over the last 15 years. So they looked at the case of five-year-old Alice Pereira, who went missing in 1972. Rand was a maintenance man in her building. Surprise, Uh, surprise. I have always, 
granted, I have a very nice maintenance man in my building now, um, and I don't think he's a serial killer, but I have always felt very wary of like, does he have a key to your no, house? No, nope. I replaced my lock okay. with a uh, smart lock. Okay, cool. Because I'm like, I don't, I mm-hmm. wouldn't like that, you know? No, and they, they, uh, they said, they're like, oh, do we have a key on file for you? I'm like, no, you don't. Nope. And if anyone ever no. needs to get in. And you cannot yep, have I'm like, one. if anyone ever needs to get in, I can send you a one-time passcode. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, I dropped my car off to get the air conditioning fixed recently and I took my house key off the ring, which I hadn't really thought to do before. But I was like, you know what? I don't know who works here and they could totally take my house Mm -hmm. key. Go get it copied. They have my address on file. Yeah. You know, just I don't know. That had never occurred to me before. And I was like, um, scary. So maybe next time you guys like take your car in or whatever, take your house key with you. Yeah, I mean, you probably need it to True. get into your house, but if you don't, take it anyways, is my point. So next was seven-year-old Holly Ann Hughes in 1981. Rand's aunt lived in the same building as Holly, and he had been questioned in connection with her disappearance. It was said that Holly had been playing outside, and someone saw Rand get into his car around the same time. And Holly walked down the street, was last seen at a nearby deli, and kind of seemed as though she was going down the street at the same time that Rand was leaving in his very distinguishable green Volkswagen. Fucking Volkswagens, man. Don't trust them. Hashtag don't trust yeah, VWs. Don't trust yeah. So next, 10-year-old Tyhesa Jackson was taken in 1983. She also had learning disabilities, and her brother saw her talking to a man that fit Rand's description. And in 1984, 21-year-old Hank Aforia disappeared, and he had the IQ of a 15-year-old and was last seen by multiple eyewitnesses with Rand at a diner around 3 or 4 (sighs) a.m. So, like, obviously this can't all be coincidences, right? Like. This man is definitely a serial child. You guys, I just have the worst luck. Every time I make friends with a child, they end up missing and murdered. Yeah. And like, oh, God, I hate when that happens. It's so hard when all your friends get taken from you. (laughs) Um, So actually, we do have a silver lining coming up. (laughs) Hurrah! So that's great. And I'll tell you about it when we get back from this commercial break. But do stay tuned because we're going to play a promo from one of my favorite true crime podcasts, The Path Went Chilly. Hi, I'm Robin Warder from The Trail Went Cold. If you are unfamiliar with my other podcast, I often cover stories from the television show Unsolved Mysteries. For the past five years, you've heard me talk about these cases on my own, but now's your chance to hear me have in-depth discussions about them with other people. I want to welcome you to my new project, The Path Went Chilly, where I will be discussing in depth with my two good friends and co-hosts cases that I've covered on The Trail Went Cold. Meet my co-hosts. First one up is Jules. Hi, I'm Jules from the podcast Riddle Me That True Crime, and I have a PhD in transpersonal counseling. I'm not a psychologist or a diagnostician, so don't get too excited. But I can't wait to analyze these cases with these two amazing humans. You've already met Robin, now meet Dr. Ashley Wellman. Hi, I'm Ashley. I have a PhD in criminology, law, and society, and I specialize in trauma victims and survivors. 
I've spent a great deal of time working with families left behind after homicides with a cold case unit based out of Florida. And I'm also a professor of criminology. I'm so excited to be chatting with two of my best friends about the cases that everyone can't seem to get enough of. We hope in doing so that we will have a clearer perspective of what may have transpired. Oftentimes, Ashley will be totally in the dark. Jules and I will be telling Ashley a story she may not know much about, so all of her reactions are genuine. We will be releasing on all major platforms April 8th. We hope you will join us as we attempt to heat up some ice cold cases. The Path Went Chilly will be available every Thursday on all major podcast platforms. Okay, and we're back. We hope you guys enjoyed that promo and are going to go check them out. Cannot recommend them enough. And now we're finally going to get to the part of the story that's not a super big bummer. Finally, in 1988, Rand was charged with the kidnapping and murder of Jennifer Schweiger. The DA had no physical evidence and relied almost only on eyewitness testimony, which is generally known to be the most unreliable. But it's like, you know, how many fucking kids do you kidnap and like people see a little something and... I don't know, though, actually, because I don't they probably couldn't talk about the other cases in this one. I feel like that's often the case, Uh, right? Yeah. If they determine that it's not like related, they'll determine like what is and is not admissible or something. We're not lawyers. Right. And it's like a bunch of kids went missing around him in the past. But yeah, since he's like not on trial for that, then they can't. For those things, I don't think they can bring it up. But if you're a lawyer and we're totally wrong, let us know because we are definitely um, not 100% that we're right on that. Join the Discord. Let us know. Join the Discord. You guys can find the invite on our website, tsfuthepodcast.com, and then go to play with us and you'll find that super special invite. All right. So although it relied almost only on eyewitness testimony, it was the largest criminal trial in Staten Island history. And he was convicted on the kidnapping charge and given 25 to life. They weren't able to make the murder charge stick. I don't fucking know why, because there was a body right near his fucking campsite. But maybe that's circumstantial. Sometimes people just die near other people. Yeah. No, it's weird. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he was convicted on the kidnapping charge and he would have been up for parole in 2008. But in 2004, new evidence showed that he was connected to Holly Ann Hughes 1981 disappearance. And in Holly Ann Hughes trial, they were again using almost all eyewitness testimony. But luckily, it again did hold up and help a woman named Tanya who said that she was Um, around Holly's age, living near her at the time, said that she saw Rand wearing a mask and pulling Holly Ann into his car. Like, why would you just now be coming forward with that information? Mm -hmm. Also, they said that the eyewitness testimony was um, like a few of them were like past addicts and alcoholics who had gotten sober now and whose like memories seem to have cleared up. So I'm not saying that he didn't do it and that he absolutely shouldn't have been found guilty of kidnapping and given another 25 years, but they don't sound like the most reliable eyewitness testimonies to me. Eyewitness testimony is actually is like really problematic. I'm sure probably most of our listeners know that already. No, exactly. And in both cases, in 88 with Jennifer Schweiger and in 2004 with Holly Ann Hughes, 
both cases rested largely on eyewitness testimony, which is why I think that some people are still under the impression that he might have been framed because, again, you know, they found Jennifer's body in a shallow grave super close to his campsite and they hadn't seen it before. But he's a fucking pedophile and murderer. I'd maybe be more like willing to accept that idea if he hadn't like at all the other things. But exactly like he has a fucking rap sheet of trying to like fucking kidnap kids a mile long before this. So in another case, yeah, I might be more apt to doubt his guilt because I'd be like, That sounds a lot of circumstantial evidence to me. But luckily, in this case, they were like, well, fuck it, YOLO. And that's the evidence they used. And the jury found him guilty. And like I said, gave him another 25 years. And he won't be up for parole until he's 93. So that motherfucker can suck his own dick in prison until then and die. I love to imagine the judge being like, all right, well, the foreman of the jury, please step forward and present your findings. And he's like, well, we, the jury, have said, well, fuck it, YOLO, and uh, find Andre guilty. (laughs) He did this, for sure. (laughs) We, the baby, (laughs) featuring Lil Baby, (laughs) in our latest hit, fuck it, YOLO, (laughs) find Andre guilty. That's actually a direct (laughs) quote. I don't know if you watched some of the transcript or what, but you got you just nailed that. Yeah. So around like the mid to late 2000s, he ends up starting to correspond with the documentary makers of Cropsey, Joshua Zaman and Barbara Brancaccio. And so he writes all these letters back and forth. And finally, he agrees to meet them. And when they get there, he's like, no. Which if you ask me, like, super rude. I mean, if you're, if you're like, in prison. Like, I'm sure that wasn't easy for them to arrange. <laughs> that would just be, like, the biggest, eh, rude. I mean, that was kind of taunting. Neither of them were police, though. They were both just documentarian, documentarians. Neither of them were police. Yeah. Oh. So you wouldn't yeah. say he taunted the police. No, he did that to cops, okay. too. Okay. <gasps> Bingo. Did you get it? Don't. Oh, did, shit. Don't, don't, I, I pressed it. Already? it. Okay. I know. I got too excited. Do you remember what it was? Uh, taunted police. Escalated. Okay. I, I stretched one a little bit. I said drove a van. You drove a bus, but I said drove a van. That's yeah. Close. No, I'm going to. Thank you. I'll accept that. Thank I'll you. allow it. Um, free space and um, break between victims. Yes, girl. Way Fucking to go. Bingo. Ding, 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 ding. Bingo. So after they go all the way to prison to meet him and he is like fuck you guys i'm not coming out they start not responding to his letters because they're like fuck you dude you know he's totally fucking with them so after refusing to see them he starts writing them aggressive letters and they said that like his handwriting changed and he started quoting all these fucking bible verses at them and just got like all cray and he calls josh and leaves him a message and he's like This is Andre. I haven't heard from you in two weeks. And I think that's all he says when he hangs up. Just like stating facts (laughs) in like a sort of threatening way. So like I said earlier, they had been able to speak with his sister. And she said that she thought that he was manipulating them and that they were wasting their time. Didn't Ed Kemper do that? 
Oh, like have them come and then not see them? Have them come and like kind of like fuck with them and like manipulate them a little bit. Oh, he was always fucking with and manipulating them, though. Isn't Ed Kemper the one that you have a crush on? Okay, like I said, if any serial killer is attractive, it's not like the Bundy or the Dahmer to me. Like, weirdly, it's the Kemper. I just like a big guy. What can I I say? And I really dig glasses. I think about this a lot because growing up in the Midwest, I have always been taught to like help people, hold doors for people. And I'm like, I would have been so fucking murdered by Ted Bundy. You're like, I will definitely He's like, will you please help me get my suitcase into my fucking Volkswagen? I'll be like, it's weird that you still drive one of these, but absolutely I will. I would have, yeah. Do you have any candy in there? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look at that rag. I wonder if it smells like chloroform. (laughs) So, yeah, basically his sister says that he's manipulative and it seems like he just loves to be the center of attention and fuck with people because he later said that people were looking in the wrong spot for the bodies basically like is admitting his guilt even though he's maintained his innocence like this entire time so basically fuck you andre rand slash the real cropsy slash little baby (laughs) slash not my cropsy (laughs) Slash slash Frank Rashawn. I forgot. Not my Frank Rashawn. He's not his own Frank Rashawn either. So, yeah, he's just like currently rotting away in prison, I I guess, which is the silver lining here. But yeah, I set out to do like sort of a light (laughs) urban legend and um, instead a bunch of uh, really vulnerable children got abused and murdered. Cool, 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 cool. That's that cat in the hat. <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, let's get out of here. All right, you guys. It's uh, well, it's not a cult. It's just a podcast. But really, Willowbrook Institution and Cropsy are not urban legends. They are the things of real fucking nightmares. Chilling. That's fucked up. So fucked up. Can't you see? It's just really fucked. That's fucked up.